This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com forward slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, June 16th, 2016, so we're talking about energy and industrials. I'm joined today by Motley Fool Senior Auto Specialist, John Rosevier. John, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having me. We uh, we don't get to talk verbally enough. I'm always editing your stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm always sending you snarky notes over Slack, so. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. Um, so today, the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, the fact that uh, you know you're our, our senior auto specialist. You, uh, I joke, I was like, yeah, he knows like eight different former presidents of Ford. He just knows all these people. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to uh, get some time with you and talk to you about the valuations on these auto stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, on the show, we usually you know talk about energy just because what's been going on with oil prices and everything, but. Um, right. Started waiting to Tesla because that's a big deal. But um, you look at the valuations on Ford and GM, and you're just like, what is going on here? Like the multiple in the market's 18 or 20, and you got Ford, what is this, a 4P of six? And it's like, what? why are these so cheap by any reasonable measure? <laughs> well, there are a few explanations. First of all, is these are big, old school, cyclical industrial stocks. Um, and, and, it's not an uncommon pattern if you look way back in history that uh, they cruise around a, a price to earnings ratio of 10, but then profits start to rise uh, as as the auto market moves towards a peak and the PE shrink. And the reason they shrink is because investors start to say, oh, wait a minute, if the market's peaking, that means profits are going to start to shrink in time. That's just how they've always behaved. So there's a certain amount of that going on right now. But I, I, these are really low. I mean, GM's PE right now, uh, trailing 12-month basis is like 4.3 or something. It, it's it's really low. It's nowhere near 10. Uh, and and you know you look at the Wall Street estimates for earnings and and they're good. Uh, they'll be up this year. They'll be up more next year if the earning if the estimates uh, fall through. They had a good year last year. Earned just over five bucks a share, which is very good for GM. Well over 10 billion dollars before taxes. Uh, and and. They're strong businesses. We're way past bankruptcy. We're way past the economic crisis. Both companies have very strong management teams. Uh, if Ford, especially, you can say this company's battle tested. Uh, these guys all went through, uh, you know, the near death experience. Uh, they all they all worked closely with Alan Mulally. Mark Fields, CEO, was, was Alan Mulally's right hand guy for several years. He was really the architect of the turnaround. Uh, and Ford is trading at about six times earnings. You know, uh, with this crack management team, uh, with very good sales in the U.S., with promising things going on overseas, uh, what is the story? And I think a certain amount of the story uh, is just the cycle. Um, you know, the market for new light vehicles, light vehicles is our technical term for cars, pickup trucks, and SUVs thrown together, basically things people buy to own and drive in their garage versus big trucks. Uh you know, we have a chart. I, I, I don't know if the readers will be able to see it, but we have a chart that, that Sean and I have been looking at today. Uh, 
the, the if you want the chart, we'll email it to you. Email us at yep. industryfocus at fool.com. All right, sorry, John. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, sorry about that. I'm not, I'm not sure how you had it set up. Uh, briefly, we can tell you what the summary of the chart is. The pace of auto sales, uh, which is measured with a monthly number, is very close to the all-time highs that were set last decade during the great SUV boom, 2005, 2006, when, when – you know, everybody you know, had an Escalade, cars. say it. <laughs> yeah, everybody had an Escalade, and the margins on these things were fat, and, and you know, Toyota was trying to figure out how to make SOS, yeah. all of these things, right? I mean, and, and, and then, of course, as we know, the market turned, uh, gas prices went up, SUV sales stalled, the economic crisis happens, blah, 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 GM and Chrysler crashed into bankruptcy court and all that. But before that, I mean, the pace of auto sales in the U.S. was extremely strong. And we are close now to that pace. And so that makes analysts think, huh, maybe there's not a lot of growth left here. Uh, profits may not drop for a while yet. I mean, they could cruise at this level for a few years. But growth may be hard to come by. And, of course, as investors, we want growth. Um, and the U.S. market, we should back up a second and say the U.S. market is really, really important here. Ford and GM are both global companies. If you go to Shanghai, you'll see Fords and Buicks and Chevys on the street, uh, likewise in Latin America, likewise in Europe, uh, all over the world. Uh, but the U.S., from a profit perspective, is of outsized importance. Uh, for Ford, North America accounted for 61% of their total global revenue last year and 86% of its pre-tax profits. Now, correct me uh, if I'm wrong, that's because Ford's the real moneymaker's trucks, and there's nothing Americans love more than a Ford F-150. F-Series, you got it. F-Series is F-150, that, that's what we call it. F-Series is F-150 in the Super Duties, uh, the F-250, F-350, and so forth. But we, we track them as a group. Ford reports results for them as a group. Uh, Ford's most important product in the whole world. Uh, you know, they, they sell a ton of Focuses and, and, and so forth in China. They sell all sorts of cars in, in Europe pickup trucks. It really comes down to pickup trucks. The margins on those things are huge. Uh, with gas prices moderate, as, as you've been discussing on the podcast for a long time now, uh, truck sales have been terrific. That's also true at GM. Uh, GM sells almost as many pickups as Ford, uh, sometimes more in some months if you add together the Chevys and the GMCs. GM also sells, uh, they really dominate what's left of the big SUV market. The big, you know, Escalade style SUVs, the industry what was that other one, the Sierra something or other. Anyway, <laughs> this the, the Sierra is the pickup. Uh, this is uh, the Chevy Tahoe and Suburban, That's it. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. GMC Yukon and the Cadillac Escalade. These are big truck based SUVs. A lot of companies used to make them. A lot of companies used to sell a lot of them. Uh, most of that business has gone away for most of those companies. GM has like three quarters of the market that's left, uh, which gone? is which is so many that they're, they're expanding their factory in Texas that builds these things because they can't crank out enough right now, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Did all you those know? sales go to like crossovers, would you say? Yeah, it's been a big movement. This is a global trend, an industry-wide trend, people going to crossovers. A crossover is basically, a, it, simply put, it's a cross between a car and an SUV. It's an SUV-shaped vehicle that's built on a car architecture instead of built on a heavier uh, pickup right. truck frame. Yeah. Um, this makes them lighter. This makes them handle more like cars. This makes them ride more like cars, and it makes them more fuel efficient. Uh, and and. A trend that's going on separately, and this is also driving big profits for GM and Ford in North America, is people are giving up cars for crossovers. You know, people are trading in the Ford Fusion on a Ford Escape or an Explorer or an Edge. Uh, likewise at GM. Likewise at, at really um, 
all of the automakers. This has caught some by surprise. Companies like Honda, which for years has, you know, the bread and butter have been the Accord and the Civic, the smaller sedan and the bigger sedan. Uh, the CRV, their, their compact crossover, is setting sales records. And meanwhile, it's, it's like the car sales have kind of stalled because people are migrating. This is a global trend. It's happening in China. It's happening in Europe even now, too, um, where uh, the twin to the Buick Encore is a small Opel uh, called the Opel Mocha, which GM sells in Europe. Uh, booming sales, booming sales. This is a small premium uh, crossover. It, just everywhere, crossover sales are booming. Uh, that has also helped uh, profit margins everywhere because generally speaking, uh, you make a little more money on an SUV-shaped vehicle than you do on a sedan-shaped vehicle, especially now when demand is hot. Um, this has also helped. Uh, there is some question as to whether, oh, gas prices will go up and they'll shift back. But this trend was happening when gas was over three bucks a gallon. It was already in place by 2012, 2013. And I think this is a, a long-term shift, um, which might mean more competition squeezes margins over time. But uh, right now, everybody's making good money on crossovers. And Ford and GM have among the best lineups of crossovers in the business. So that's boosting them right now, too. But again, generally, um, you know, that's, that even crossovers are going to be a cyclical business. Going to ri sales will rise and fall uh, with the economic cycles. And because it costs so much to set up a car factory, to run a car factory, to staff a car factory, uh, the fixed costs in the business are so high, uh, whether your factory makes 100 vehicles a day or 600 vehicles a day, a lot of those costs don't change. And so the, the higher the market, the fatter the profits. As the market contracts, uh, profits get squeezed. And so to back up, why are Ford and GM cheap? Well, one reason is because uh, people are concerned that squeeze is coming because the market appears to have plateaued. That so that's just the the question. Is, is it possible that and you know I hate to say you know this time is different, but is it possible that this time is different? Because as you mentioned, Ford and GM they they have footholds in let's take China for example. Um, their middle class is the size of the United States population. It's over three hundred million people, Absolutely. and they see our lifestyle and they're like, oh, we need a car. I, I mean is. You, you look at these valuations and, you know, you can't buy the whole company, but gosh, if I buy all of Ford and I get all my money back in six years, like what, <laughs> what, what is going on I know, here? I know. And, and Ford and GM, uh, unlike the last time the market went south, Ford and GM have very strong balance sheets. Uh, they're in good shape. They say they will break their break even point is a pace of sales around 10 and a half million a year. And they're doing 50% which is, more than which, that, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's up around 16, 17 million and has been for a while. Uh, that's the trough of a deep recession. Uh, it, even during the economic crisis, it was only below that for a few months. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but of course, their costs were much higher back then, uh, which is why they got into trouble. But they've they've shaped up. Uh, you know, Mary Barra and her predecessor have done a tremendous job. Uh, cleaning up GM into what they called the fortress balance sheet, with a little help from the bankruptcy court, of course. Right. And Ford has done much the same, with a lot of help from the huge loans that Alan Mulally had the foresight to take way back in, in 2006 when he came in. That so was, that I had, still remember reading a case study about that, and it was, they took out those loans, they went all in on making a great lineup of cars, and the rest is history. That, that's it in a nutshell. And I covered a lot of that uh, at the time for the fool, uh, especially as they got into the economic crisis. It was Did you think it was a brilliant move? 
Uh, yes. Uh, having met and spent some time with Alan Mulally, uh, he is as advertised. He is he is really amazing. And he just had it, it, he just came in and asked the right questions and said, let us do these eminently sensible things that Detroit, as, as a group of companies, has kind of invented reasons not to do for decades. Let us have one product line that we sell all over the world rather than developing completely different sedans for the U.S. and Europe. Let us have one brand of cars. Let's get rid of, you know, we've been dabbling with Jaguar. We've been dabbling with Volvo. We own stakes in these guys. Let, let, let's knock that off. It's a distraction. It's a diversion. Let's sell Fords. Uh, let's sell the same lineup of Fords all over the world with some regional variations, but all based off the same architectures. Uh, that's key. I mean, you can change the sheet metal and change the features and so forth, but you know, if you have six different vehicles created on the same architecture, you can theoretically build them all on the same assembly line. Got it. Um, right, which you know, given that a, a, a new auto factory is a billion dollars or more, <laughs> you know, it's, it's low stress for sure. Right, um, yeah. So these these guys are cheap. This time might be different. You know, who's to say? Hopefully, we can conclude that. Um, why else should investors be concerned right now? Because that seems to be the crux of the issue in you know leaning one way or the other towards uh, whether these stocks survive or not. Yeah, well, I mean, the U.S. market is one concern. Uh, there's a lesser concern about stalling growth in China, but both Ford and GM are very well positioned there. GM, in particular, uh, is a market leader in China. It's funny how many Americans don't know that. That if you go to Shanghai, you're going to see a ton of Buicks on the street. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's surprises. right. They love. Isn't that because Mao used to drive a Buick? Yes, and Buick has had a tiny presence in China for decades. The last Chinese emperor famously drove a Buick. A Buick was the first car in the Forbidden City ever. Uh, so there's this sentimental attachment, but there's also just you know enduring loyalty. Uh, the small number of Chinese families that had cars years ago, maybe they were Buicks. They've just had a presence there a long time. Uh, and GM has managed it really well and, and managed it for growth and profitability and done a good job there. So China might be a little bit of a concern. Um, but also, uh, one of the things we talk about a great deal, and I know you've talked about on the show, is disruption, the big word. This is the Motley uh, Fool, after all. <laughs> this is the Motley Fool, after all, and it's what we investors love if we can get on the right side of it. <laughs> you know, which that is, is, that is right? the trick. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that's one of the questions, actually. It's an investment in Ford and GM being on the wrong side of the disruption that is probably coming to the auto business. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, big changes are clearly coming to the auto business, and the biggest of all these appears to be the advent of driverless cars and ride hailing. Um, before we move on, John, I wanted to make a uh, quick word about Rocket Mortgage. Uh, with Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com forward slash fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, uh, John, getting over to uh, the, the word of the day, which is disruption, um, <laughs> Is, is this the reason that uh, you, you think the market's anticipating these stocks might be cheap? I think it's part of the reason a lot of uh, a lot of 
institutional size investors are holding their breath. Uh, we've got things that have seen as threats to the old way of doing business. Uh, cars have been sold basically the same way for a century now. Uh, you know, the, the, the advent, there are more dealers, uh, there are more financing options. Leasing is more prevalent than it was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago when it was, when it was very much unknown. Uh, but you know, it's the same thing. You go to the franchise dealer, you make a deal, you buy a car, you bring it home, uh, you finance it maybe, or maybe you pay cash. Uh, you have insurance, you park it in the garage, you need parking if you drive it to work, all these kinds of things. This has not changed. Well, guess what? It's uh, There are people looking to change it, and a lot of those people are in Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, so we, um, we've talked about them a little bit on Industry Focus, obviously, but for the listeners that may not be aware, just to provide some context for what we're talking about here today, can we just run down really quick what, um, just for the layman, what Google, Tesla, and Uber have been up to in like a minute or less? <laughs> Okay, there are a lot of other companies in the categories of what they're doing, so that's good. We'll just take these as the leader. Uh, Google, of course, does many experimental, interesting, quirky things. One of the things they've been working on for years is self-driving cars, autonomous driving technology, the technology that allows the computer to drive the car safely for you. You don't have to touch the steering wheel. They've had the adorable little prototypes running around for a while. We've all seen them. The, I think they call them the panda cars or something like they that. They look like wind-up toys. I mean, <laughs> They do look like wind-up toys. Um, apparently, they don't ride very well, I've heard. From oh, really? They're them. not yeah. comfortable? They're, 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 just, they're just for test. I mean, they were made up uh, for Google. They were built uh, by a, a contractor in Michigan that works with the auto industry just as kind of test cars for them to drive around their campus and so forth. Google is not going into the car making business. They've made that clear. They've hired an industry veteran to run the Google Cars unit. Uh, what they seem to want to do is either get into ride hailing with autonomous cars or partner with one or more automakers to provide their self-driving technology uh, to cars. And of course, automakers view this askance because they saw what happened to the phone makers who partnered with Android. Right. <laughs> and so that's a concern that they'll just be making, you know, the dumb cars and the personality and the brains and all the data, which everybody wants, uh, goes to Google. So they're, they're mindful of that. And there has been some resistance to working with Google in the auto business. Uh, Tesla, of course, is Tesla. Tesla, uh, people talk about Tesla disrupting the auto business. I have argued for a long time that what Tesla has really done is entered the auto business. And that's a hard thing. And they deserve a huge amount of credit. Tesla is becoming an automaker. Uh, they're fast growing. They're innovative. They're, of course, making electric cars. But Elon Musk, you know, his famous secret plan uh, boiled down to we're going to show the world that electric cars can be awesome uh, and hopefully push the industry to follow us. He wasn't looking to destroy the industry. He was looking to lead the industry. Uh, and and uh, love or hate Tesla, that's that's what they're doing. The acceleration of Battery electric vehicles has been greatly accelerated uh, just because of Tesla's very visible success. A lot of companies are working on them, some more than others, and we'll get into how that plays out with Ford and GM in a bit. Uh, the other company you wanted me to talk about was Uber. Uber, uh, along with Lyft and Didi in China and several other big companies around the world, are pioneers of ride hailing, where you use an app to summon a car, and the cars are the the driver. The cars are crowdsourced. Uh, drivers sign up to drive for Uber. Uh, passengers get the Uber app and and hail one of these vehicles, and and Uber's system directs the nearest vehicle or whatever to you. Uh, and the idea is that everybody makes some money out of this. Uh, the thought here is that in some places, in time, services like Uber. Uh, 
will lead people to say, hey, I don't really need to own a car anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's really, I mean, that could, that would obviously de- just decimate uh, Detroit's business. So how are GM and Ford positioning themselves to handle this? Because GM, they invested $500 million in Lyft. Um, they're all, I mean, they're all looking at this. They're all trying to follow Tesla with the driverless technology. Um, what, what else is being done in order to position themselves? Because I don't think they want to go through bankruptcy court again. No, 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 no. And and to be clear, Ford never went into bankruptcy court. Well, that's a close shave, but, but I mean, Ford refinanced itself before the market forced it to go into court and, and restructure. Uh, but anyway, to back up the vision, the way Google and Tesla and Uber come together sort of as, as the big disrupt threat, disruption threat that we all see on the horizon is a universe where you don't own a car. Uh, you hail a car with a software app whenever you need one. It just shows up. It's electric. It's self-driving. It's comfortable and it's safe because uh, self-driving cars that talk to one another uh, won't get into very many accidents is the thinking. And it seems to be very sound thinking if we can perfect the software. Um, and, and and so that's that together is the threat. Uh, what some of us refer to as robot, uh, the robot Uber world uh, where, yeah. you know, these self-driving cars uh, – I understand. As, a, as a digression, personally, I think this is what Apple's car is really about. I think what they're aiming to be is sort of the premium robot Uber, uh, if they go into this business. Uh, that, right. That's my theory. But 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 anyway. Uh, so what are GM and Ford doing about this? Well, and that's what I was. So I it, heard. I just found out the Chevy Bolt is apparently a big deal in this world. You know, it's funny when when Mir- I was actually. Uh, about 20 feet away when Mary Barra first unveiled the Chevy Bolt about a year and a half ago in Detroit. It was a big surprise. They were showing off the new Chevy Volt with a V, which is, of course, their innovative uh, plug-in hybrid, essentially, uh, that, that that has great owner loyalty. And they, they just rolled this thing out, and it looks like a little crossover in person. It's not sexy and fast like a Tesla. And everybody's like, huh, what's that about? Uh, does it have electric- the body of uh, the Volt? What is it, you know? Now it's it's built on uh, it's very loosely related, as I understand it, to one of GM's small car platforms. But it's a it's a new architecture. That oh, this looks like the Ford for. Focus. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Um, so the Bolt is very interesting. I spent some time talking to the folks who worked on the program at GM uh, in Detroit at the auto show in January. They're not they're not interested in Tesla. This car was designed from the ground up uh, with ride hailing in mind. And yeah. They went on and on about all these features. Uh, it's got this special rear view mirror they got that has so far only been used on top line Cadillacs that combines cameras to give you a seamless view around the car in the rear view mirror uh, without the window pillars or things like that in the way because the cameras fill in the gaps. Uh, it's got floors that are flat, rear doors that open wide. Uh, the seat is configured in the back seat to make it roomy for passengers, even though the Bolt isn't a particularly big vehicle. It is very roomy in the back seat. And it's easy to slide in and out of. Uh, it, it turns on a very tight radius. It's very maneuverable. There are cameras and sensors that help you pull right up to the curb. Uh, it's got all of this, the, this smart technology in it for tracking and so forth. And it's like, huh. Yeah, you know, they're telling me all this and it's like tailor made for Uber or more specifically Lyft. 
Uh, and now we're seeing uh, a few months later, uh, GM is testing self-driving versions. GM acquired a little company in San Francisco called Cruise Automation. It was like a 40-employee company that had been working on a self-driving system that could be retrofitted uh, to certain Audis. It was like this little niche thing. And GM took him out for a rumored billion dollars. Uh, wow. And they have not yet fully explained this purchase, but the hints that have been coming out of GM were, were that they needed one particular thing to make their self-driving software system work, and Cruise had the thing. It was the missing piece of their puzzle. So they paid a billion it, dollars for this patch. Well, I mean, <laughs> if they paid a billion dollars and they get self-driving cars to year to to market two years ahead, is that a bad investment? No, you know? I will not right. argue we, that. We, well, we don't know for sure yet, but it's certainly you know, a bet that GM can make. And now they've already got, uh, the Bolt doesn't even arrive at dealers uh, for normal customers to buy until the end of the year, but there are already self-driving Bolts testing on the streets of San Francisco. And yeah. Lyft has said, you, you mentioned uh, GM put half a billion dollars into Lyft in January. Uh, it, it appears they've been working with Lyft for a while before that was announced. Uh, maybe even as they were working up for you know, the specs for what became the Bolt and so forth. Uh, Lyft has said that they're going to test a self-driving taxi service in a U.S. city to be named within a year and that the cars will be self-driving Chevy Bolts. That is just amazing uh, to me. So this isn't the future. This is, this is you know, in the product plan. It's coming. It, it's it's right there. Uh, so, you know, GM, GM, people ask GM, if you ask a GM uh, product employee who works on the electric cars or the self-driving stuff, you know, what are you doing to catch Tesla? They kind of give you this look. They're like, yeah, catch Tesla. Tesla just released their beta system early. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're, they're, like, they're like, we got Tesla's range. We've got a self-driving system. You know, we're not catching Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't quite say it that way. They are much more gracious than I am making them sound. But, um, you know, pro props to GM for biting their tongue there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they feel like they're right there. And so to help they, the bull they really case, have something to show that. For so that. to help the bull case and then bring it around uh, to the valuations and everything, um, and I'm trying to be unbiased here, but um, I read an interesting uh, analysis of, okay, so everybody in on planet Earth or just in the United States even went to driverless cars. Obviously, uh, nobody would be buying a new Ford or GM car, and you know we all we wouldn't own it. We just hailed them, quick two minute trip, and all that stuff. But um, the number of miles that these cars that are presumably circling our cities um, are going to drive in a year would be astronomical. Right. Does that not imply that there's just going to be a high replacement rate, and the automakers will technically be fine? Even if they are self driving electric cars, making cars is hard. When I say that, what I mean is making cars profitably to global standards of quality that we've all come to expect. Uh, making a fragile, high-performance exotic and selling it for a half million dollars is relatively easy. Making a Toyota Corolla or you know a Chevy Cruze is very difficult to Got that it. level of quality and perfection time after time and making a good profit on it. Uh, so, yeah – if, if we're all going by robot Uber, those cars are going to get used up quickly. Somebody's got to make them. Um, obviously, GM is is angling to be one of those companies that's going to be making them. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, this may become the standard in cities. Maybe it'll replace buses and subways in cities that have buses and subways. I, I don't know. But there's also a good argument that 
you know, 30 years from now, come whatever happens with technology, Ford and GM are still going to be selling a ton of pickup trucks in Texas. Yeah. Amen. You know, and those maybe those pickup trucks are electric. Right. And maybe it just takes the right combination of product of product features and affordability uh, to make these loyal pickup truck customers who order the V8 pickup every five years or seven years say, whoa, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this electric thing. You know, a dual motor Ford Super Duty uh, with monster torque and monster trailer towing capacity, I think that would get a close look from a lot of people, even if it didn't have a V8 roar or a big diesel sound. Uh, I, I think in time they will be able to, as, as the costs make sense for people, sell electric pickups. But I think they're going to be selling pickups for a long time yet. Maybe yeah. not 200 years from now, but certainly 30 years from now. So, John, before we sign off, um, are you a, a buyer these days of Ford, GM, any of the automakers? I own Ford and GM. Um Frankly, I own enough Ford and GM, <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's not a reflection of what I think of their investment desirability. The, both of them are making, uh, you know, if we set aside this disruption factor for a moment, and I know that's a big factor to set aside, both of them have excellent management teams, good balance sheets, and they're making good moves to boost their profitability over time uh, by building on the turnarounds they've done in the U.S., uh, to improve their operations in places like Europe as well. That's happening. Those profits are going up. Both Ford and GM are going to be profitable in Europe this year. Uh, that's new. They lost money there for years because Europe went through a very big recession. Yeah, their that was the joke dropped, for... Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, China is going to continue to expand, and they're both players there, and they're making good margins there. Uh, South America is troubled now, but that won't always be true. And they've been able... Both companies have been able to sort of minimize the damage while Brazil works through whatever it has to work through. Uh, you know, they're streamlining product portfolios to uh, increase to, to, to sort of increase their their uh, their cost advantage, their their ability to take advantage of their economies of scale uh, by streamlining uh, and simplifying what they do under the skin of the cars, the things that aren't visible to customers when you're just riding around and driving. Uh, there's more commonality there. That's the way the whole industry is going. But Ford and GM are certainly in the midst of that. They're in the midst of of developing uh, future technologies that will keep them competitive as fuel economy standards tighten and so forth. They're all doing the right things. Uh, GM has a whole, GM expects its margins are going to be squeezed on pickups as it has to go to more fuel efficient things. So it's offsetting that uh, by greatly boosting its Cadillac brand because luxury cars make big profit margins. Cadillac's catching on in China. Uh, at some point, they're going to try and go into Europe with Cadillac. Uh, the cars are almost good enough to do that, to go compete with the Germans on their home turf. We'll see how that goes. But uh, you know, there, there are a lot of these efforts going on to, to boost margins. Um, they cool. should unfold over the next six or seven years uh, with – you know, again, setting aside the, the cycle of the economy and any massive disruption that might happen uh, relatively steadily over time. We may take a dip in the U.S., but then we'll come back up. And meanwhile, you know, the cycles will run overseas. But if we get back to a situation like this in seven years, uh, Ford and GM should both be considerably more profitable than they are now. Awesome. Uh, absent any disruption. And so meanwhile, you're collecting, uh, you know, dividends in the 5% range or close to it. Uh, on both of these stocks. And, and so I don't think, I, I think if you're looking for the moonshot, you know, you're definitely not in the right place. But if you want a company to, to sort of put away and reinvest the dividends and kind of see where you are in a decade and expect to have a nice handsome return that you don't have to lie awake at night worrying about, I think these are both intriguing candidates. Uh, I might lean toward GM right now just because 
you know, if you look back to 2008, 2009, Ford has come further already than GM has. GM still has more room to optimize overseas and so forth than Ford does. Uh, but, but, awesome. you know, yeah. I, I won't argue against somebody who says, I'm going to go buy Ford today. I would say, good, just, you know, it's, it, it might not outperform for a few years, but if you sleep on it for seven years, you may be very happy. Awesome. Well, Mr. Rosevear, thanks for your time. And thanks for joining me today. Thanks as always. And that is it for us, folks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For John Rosevear, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!